Think again with Borderlands Cooperative. Join us for critical conversations about things that matter. Every Friday at 10am on 3CR Community Radio, 855am on your dial. And on 3CR Digital and streaming live at 3cr.org.au. So together, let's think again about important matters affecting us, like economics, politics, education, health, climate, and what we can do about it all. Welcome to Think Again, a program produced by the Borderlands Cooperative. We've been working for social change for around 26 years. We're broadcasting from the 3CR studio on the lands of the Wurundjeri people, lands that have never been ceded. I'm Jacques Boulet and Jennifer has another day off. Today I'm talking with Associate Professor Anitra Nelson from Melbourne Uni. We'll be talking about degrowth and why the negative, that kind of negative sounding noun, should be taken very seriously. Good morning and welcome to the program, Anitra. Many thanks, Jacques. It's great to be here. Just to say, I'm on the phone on unceded lands of the Jajarong on Jara country, where I live, work and play. Thanks, Anitra. Many of us worried about what we humans are doing to Mother Earth and to ourselves, of course. And we have wondered about the paradox of our continuing dedication to economic growth and our knowledge about what this growth is doing to Earth and ourselves. Indeed, the assumed need for growth remains a seemingly unchallengeable postulate of our economic system. Commentators confirming it for all kinds of reasons, like it's needed to increase our well-being, to, def- to defeat poverty, to allow the more social, allow more for more social justice. The image of the mythical pie needing to grow so that everything, everyone's slice gets larger, is a mm. rather silly metaphor given that we never try to equalize the size of the slices in which the pie is cut, which would really fix poverty in a whiff. There's a vast body of research in all of the areas of well-being, poverty, climate, ecology, documenting really that economic growth isn't improving any of these things. So time for us at Think Again to have someone who has been working and writing critically about growth and degrowth for a long time, to help and enlighten us a bit. So welcome again, Anitra. So just to set the scene a bit, can you picture for us, in all brevity of course, given that we only have half an hour, what the economic growth paradigm is really about and what is it it is doing to the world and to the world's inhabitants? Well... Economic growth is at the heart of the capitalist system, which follows a formula, a meme, of money making more money. So that's, in a nutshell, growth. Growth as in growing our gross domestic product, often referred to as GDP, growing in productivity, growing sectors and businesses. It means we do things more quickly to save money, to make more things. It means the money economy becomes more and more central to our everyday security, to our social and political lives, and we become more and more absorbed by monetary relations and values. 
In many ways, money has become a god, the final judge, as it rules and disciplines us. It is the central element of transactions, relationships. It influences our social status. It gives us power. So, for instance, Trump gets away with a lot of bad behaviour because he has monetary power. And all the time, as we grow the economy, money rises in its power. Money is used as a carrot and a stick, and debt spews out as credit is extended here and there in order to make more money. So, for instance, a really good example of this is the current housing crisis. Mm -hmm. The for-profit construction industry is largely responsible for building new homes, while we've got a large amount of housing stock that resales on the second-hand housing market. The prices of old and new homes influence one another, but the price of housing is also and mainly determined by how much money potential homeowners can borrow, typically from the bank, to purchase a dwelling. As long as banks raise their lending, purchases compete with one another and prices soar. As prices of dwellings rise, so do rents. It's an insane merry-go-round linked with monetary economies, growth, and the fact that in a monetary economy, we're playing games that force us to try and pay as little as possible to get as much as possible. Mm. That's the growth game. Mm. And we're playing it with our souls, our hearts, against other people, extracting from Earth as well as people in this game, which makes no social or environmental sense. I could go on, but I think everyone (laughs) listening to this lives in this growth economy and knows exactly what we're talking about here. Mm -hmm. Given a bit of background, then, uh, Anitra, let's move to degrowth. Where did the degrowth idea initially emerge from? Could you give us, our listeners, a brief overview of the various historical roots of degrowth and the various movements associated with it, just to help us locate it historically and politically? Sure. So degrowth, as the name implies, targets growth as a central dynamic of a system that is increasing socio-political inequities and all kinds of ecological unsustainabilities. And when they first encounter it, people living in growth economies tend to shudder when they hear the term degrowth because they think immediately of what a shrinking economy means within capitalism. It Mm -hmm. means depression, austerity and poverty. Degrowth is certainly not about that. Degrowth is a movement striving to reimagine and change the ways we live and behave so that we have equitable and just relations between us and a balanced relationship with nature, living within Earth's limits. To achieve that, degrowth activists and advocates speak about sufficiency or enough, indeed about collective sufficiency, because this is not just voluntary simplicity. Degrowth is about socio-political change, so our economic practices become non-exploitative of both people and earth. And degrowth evolved from ecological and social ideas in intellectual and political currency in the 1960s and 1970s. Um, Its birth as decroissance, literally decreasing, pointed to diminishing ecological damage and corresponding increase in qualities human well-being. As such, degrowth is best conceived as 
I said before, as collective sufficiency. We also refer to that as frugal abundance, as enough is enough. Enough and sufficiency are two-sided concepts, emphasising the reduction of both underconsumption and overconsumption and their replacement with equity-oriented satisfaction of essential needs for everyone. The 21st century gave birth to degrowth as a radical, decentralised, horizontalist network with a provocative slogan, damning growth. Growth conceived of as the central dynamic and symbol of a dehumanising and ecologically extractive capitalism. And of the environmentally neglectful and destructive really existing communism for the 20th century that also emphasised growth. Degrowth spread in scholarly work, especially ecological economics, with sustainability activists and institutes adopting it as a demand or a campaign. As a movement, degrowth has evolved most visibly, initially in France with ad buster and anti-development, uh, that's anti-sustainable uh, development campaigns, including critical mass-style bike and anti-aviation demonstrations. It has expanded as a philosophical, holistic, political and interdisciplinary imaginary and a vision and a practical approach with hundreds of active groups throughout the world now, mainly still in Europe. It has attracted more support, activism and practitioners um, who emphasise a whole series of kind of new concepts such as convivial relations and technologies, more demonstrative and complex forms of frugal abundance, globalism as in universal principles applied locally and economies of care and commoning. Hmm. That's a really good <laughs> congratulations to that summary in those couple of minutes of uh, actually a vast terrain. And let's just, to let that settle for a while, listen to, and I'll do that also partly in honor of your last book, where you critically analyze the role money plays. Uh, so, Kev Kamari, Dirty Dollar, in your honor. Kanitra. <laughs> Sunrise from polluted seas, fishing in the rivers for a blue algae, breathing the sand. 
Think Again on 3CR Radio, 855 AM on your dial and streaming live at 3cr.org.au. Today I'm talking with Anitra Nelson about degrowth and about the need to start taking that notion very seriously and to practice it on all levels, including our daily lives. Anitra, could you just give us a series of examples of existing degrowth activities, projects, you already alluded to them uh, more broadly, uh, about projects, movements, some of their characteristics and major emphases, and the available change levers the movements utilize or propose to more global change. Yeah, well, uh, degrowth is very future-oriented as a movement, attempting to map ways out of weak democracy as well as hyper-consumption, inequity and the environmental crises caused by growth-driven capitalism. So the movement intersects with many other like movements such as Extinction Rebellion, environmental justice, decolonisation, food sovereignty and peace movements. Degrowth disrupts mainstream practices and engages with and supports other sustainability and social justice and equity-oriented movements with similar approaches. Um, In a chapter in Exploring Degrowth, a Critical Guide, written by Vincent Ligi and myself, we respond to this question. Um, We outline the diverse ways that activists have pursued degrowth by living simply, by experimenting with alternative technologies and techniques for living and self-provisioning, by forming political squats and social centres, by campaigning against mega-infrastructure developments such as airports and dams, experimenting with alternative currencies and non-monetary economies, developing action-based experimental and experiential methods and methodologies, imagining degrowth futures and discussing a degrowth agenda to get there, that is, working out strategies to implement a holistic degrowth project. So these bigger questions are often tackled in books and articles of which there are a growing number, and they're discussed in degrowth conferences, which, again, are growing in frequency and expanding in terms of locations. Mm-hmm. Degrowth movements in specific locations develop certain defining characteristics. There are practices that are common to urban degrowth activists, such as squatting, supporting public transport and cycling, and developing relationships with food producers on the peri-urban or rural fringes of cities 
in arrangements such as community-supported agriculture. In contrast, for instance, rural degrowth advocates can arguably more readily establish modest dwellings in ways known as do-it-ourselves or do-it-yourself, becoming more substantially self-provisioning with respect to food and relying on slow and novel forms of transport. The collective sphere encapsulates reusing and recycling with, for instance, makers' workshops and repair cafes. Such collectives focus on, say, bike building and repairs or sewing secondhand materials using simple technology and hands. Repair cafes undercut trends to take away, throw away and planned obsolescence by offering repair services and perhaps more significantly by training people to develop their own repairing skills. Such activities have sprung up around town, sometimes as initiatives of the transition movement or of grassroots municipalism in Europe. That is, there are political associations based on direct democracy in neighbourhood assemblies and radical cooperativism that tend to develop these kinds of activities. Mm. And activities in the collective sphere also include cooperatives, upgrading dwellings with insulation and renewable energies. Ideally, these improvements involve locals and they're low-tech. They're trialled as neighbourhood microgrid systems rather than installed just simply for individual households. Associated co-housing, sharing housing and land, alternative technology centres and other ethical, socially-oriented hosting and hospitality projects are also types of degrowth collective sphere activities. Mm. Many eco-collaborative housing projects feature intergenerational solidarity, say through mutual caring, hosting alternative learning workshops, engaging in sharing schemes and disseminating alternative ways of creating, living, engaging. So that's just a representative mm. sample of collective mm. activities enacting degrowth values, strategies and uh, principles. Mm. That's, a, that's a big list. And we will be putting some of that literature on the website anyway. And now becoming almost like personal, what would be your own set of suggestions around degrowth and uh, the degrowth movement? What can listeners and their communities and families do to counteract ongoing push to grow and to, and switch to ways of living that actually support degrowth or create degrowth. I know that you live in Castlemaine in the middle of a lot of activism so feel free to use some of those examples. Yeah, well, um, Degrowth Network Australia, DNA, launched early this year at the National Sustainable Living Festival in Melbourne. So that's a great point of call for people who really want to get involved in the here and now. Um, DNA has spawned a range of capital city and regional networks and anyone can browse material at the degrowth.info site, which is an international hub of the International Degrowth Network. We like to emphasise collective activities because they're generally easier to sustain. But we also look at our everyday lives and become more conscious of how much we support the growth economy and work out how we might support non-monetary solidarity and degrowth-oriented activities instead. So 
That generally means, say, cutting down on paid work, which forces us to think about what's essential for us and just to satisfy our basic needs with that work rather than to overconsume. In terms of those without enough, joining with degrowth activists and advocates will offer ways to have your needs met outside the growth economy through sharing goods and services more. The essential answer is to adopt or adapt to a life of voluntary simplicity that's reducing one's environmental impact in sort of emancipatory and intentional ways whenever and wherever possible. We're not all equal, though, in terms of available choices. Everyone has constraints, sometimes due to their relationships with other people and particularly due to economic factors such as indebtedness. So pre-existing conditions can make it more difficult or even impossible to individually take many radical steps to live in voluntary simplicity say, refusing to use cars and relying on a bike or walking. That's because of the variety of circumstances that different people find themselves within. And the degrowth movement does not advocate a moralistic stance, but rather a really cautious, open and supportive invitation to assess and renovate our lifestyles when and if and as possible. Even if our growth culture pushes us to desire, consume, produce and work more, there's a growing shared sphere of resistance. More and more surveys, for instance, show rising expectations for quality of life rather than quantitative growth and calls for more reuse, less work, more sharing and more recycling. We observe increasingly public debates against planned obsolescence, that's um, manufactured goods that are not durable or easily repairable, and calls to cut down on um, plane flights. People are rallying in support of expanding train services. There are strong bike rider movements in many cities advocating for more bike lanes and bike storage in place of car lanes and car parks. Vegan and vegetarian movements show widespread preparedness to cut down and cut out animal flesh from our diet. It's even become fashionable. Um, And people are also preferring to eat foods that are procured locally in season and grown organically. So we can see how individual action articulates with cultural and social spheres to impact on all of our social norms and status. So All of these priorities mean that we, for instance, support fresh local food markets and a slower lifestyle, enjoying nature. Mm. That sounds, again, like a very meaningful list to uh, have written down somehow. We probably actually will uh, add some possible links to uh, programs where that becomes both practically suggested as well as illustrated. Finally, we start slowly to run out of time, uh, Anitra. Any other suggestions what you think should be changing contextually as well as in the way we relate with one another? Because that is one of the major things Borderlands has come about for, to change. And last week's program on relational economy was very similar. Any thoughts about that to finalise? 
Sea growth is very much um, involved with care economies and commoning, and they're both based on relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, relationships with nature um, as much as with um, other people. So I think um, relationships are very important. I think organisations um, such as Borderlands are really important for people to become involved with um, because you promote these kinds of activities. And, uh, yeah, we can put... I you know, can hand on to you a variety of references that you can mm-hmm. uh, pop onto the web so that people can check those things out and, um, yeah, pick up this interest by, for instance, um, becoming involved with Degrowth with Network Australia and also just noticing that a lot there's a lot more journalism about degrowth and this kind of thing as well. Mm. Thank you so much, Anitra, for your time and also for your wealth of wisdom. We will be putting the references on the web and we probably, in a, in a couple of months or so, will call you back to uh, share new ideas and uh, new developments in the movement. And you are quite right that we at Borderlands have been trying to bring some of those messages to people, particularly also through our emphasis on community development of all, what we like to recall or rename the development of community. Next Thursday, on the 7th of December, we're having our last talk for the year about alternative economics at Borderlands. Duncan Wallace and Tristan Banner from Earthworker Cooperative, they will discuss the possibilities of cooperatives and employee-owned businesses to contribute to such alternative economics and indeed to degrowth. So come to Portlands at 30A Pickett Street in Footscray and we start at about 7.30 to about 9.30. All welcome. Thanks for listening to Think Again on 3CR Community Radio with Jacques Boulet and Anitra Nelson. Remember, if you want to send us a message or ask about anything from today's program, you can email Borderlands, borders at borderlands.org.au. Just put Think Again in the subject line. Our programs are available by podcast via your preferred podcast app and on the 3CR website at 3cr.org.au.
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.